Before we get started, I wanted to quickly update you on a project Megan and I are currently working on. It's the Ashtanga Dispatch Home Practice Journal, a field guide for the eight-limbed path. This journal will be a creative way to expand and inspire daily practice beyond series and poses, with tools for insight and reflection, rooted in philosophy, and connected to daily life. We've even developed online content to accompany the weekly themes, including breathing exercises, guided meditations, and chants to learn and follow. If you're not on our email list, then go over to ashtangadispatch.com and sign up now, because during the month of August, we'll be sending out pages for you to sample and enjoy. Oh, and make sure you check out our events page while you're there, because as much as I love our online community, nothing beats getting to meet you in person. And now, on to today's episode. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen, your host. And that was hip-hop artist MC Yogi, who joins me on today's episode, along with Amanda Giacomini, the inspiration and artist behind the 10,000 Buddhas Project, which she'll tell you more about later on in the episode. We caught up at the Wanderlust Festival in Snowshoe last month. MC and Amanda have spent the past 20 years spreading their love of yoga to the masses through their music and art, but also more intimately in Point Reyes, California, in the studio they began as a young couple and still regularly teach today. I first met MC and Amanda as part of a team teaching yoga to kids on the White House lawn during the annual Easter egg roll under the Obama administration. Their energy together was captivating their class, a fun mixture of music and movement, kids would flock to the yoga garden. They'd fill every mat. And by the end, every child's attention would be fixed on their message of love, peace, and unity. Let me just say, they were a tough act to follow. Except it really is no act. Nicholas, a.k.a. MC Yogi, and Amanda met at a teacher training at It's Yoga in San Francisco back in 2000. And you'll hear them both talk about the loving influence of their teacher, Larry Schultz. Larry was good friends with my dad, so he was like my uncle. 
and he took me under his wing and I lived at the, the studio, basically sleeping on the floor. Um, I had just gotten out of a group home. I'd lived in a group home for like two and a half years and uh, Larry kind of opened his doors to me. MC writes more about his delinquency as a teen that put him in that group home before discovering yoga in his book, Spiritual Graffiti. Though, don't expect it to be just another yoga story of darkness to light. There's so much light in the darkness that sometimes we separate those two things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're not really separate. It's all part of the same process. In other words, the dark can actually help really clarify what we want by showing us first what we don't want. And why, as you'll hear, MC and Amanda's relationship is less of a fairy tale and more of a clear and conscious choice to align their lives together. We made an effort to set our lives up so we could be together a lot and travel together. That was a conscious choice. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. And we had a an amazing woman in, who came into our life early on. Her name was Dorothy Devac, and we spent a lot of time with her. She was like a mentor to us and a coach, and we did a lot of work and a lot of processing around um, conscious partnership and like being together in a way that was really um, rooted in a foundation of just honesty, loving kindness. I mean, it's, it's like a work in progress, right? You know, it's like any art, like any she, she helped us get off on the right foot. Yeah, and she gave us like skills, tools, and techniques to help us kind of navigate. Because we were both products of divorce. We were both essentially raised by our grandparents. And so we came from, we were both from broken homes. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why um, I think we were so attracted to Dorothy. Because she really, uh, she was like a pillar. I mean, she passed last year. And she was an amazing human being who really embodied all the teachings and qualities and principles of yoga without ever touching the mat. So she was like a living, breathing embodiment of, you know, all the benefits of the practice. She was living it. We used to say she was a laser beam of consciousness. She would see through, if you were talking around the situation she would just cut right through and be like yeah. really <laughs> and just call you out um Dorothy in the most D. loving way but it really you know when, when we were young we we definitely um we definitely wanted we looked around ourselves at that time and we didn't have a lot of models of relationships we respected or wanted to emulate and so we um we were both you know even though i, I mean it's amazing i met um, MC Yogi when he was 20 years old. You were 20? He was 20. You were 20. Yeah. And so for such a young man to, oh. um, to really want to do that kind of work yeah. and to really just want to be so committed and, and, um, I have to give, I have to give credit and praise to Dorothy because Dorothy, we were introduced to Dorothy through our yoga teacher, Larry Schultz in San Francisco. And, Larry had worked with Dorothy when he was creating his studio and, and it's yoga. His studio in San Francisco was one of like the first major yoga studios in San Francisco. That was that size. It was like a huge warehouse and people were coming and doing primary and modified primary strong yoga. And then Larry, you know, innovated his rocket series of yoga and which was a lot of fun and really kind of opened us up to 
you know, making yoga fun and accessible and, um, and kind of for everybody leveling the praying field, as we say. And, and so, um, Larry introduces to Dorothy and, and, and Larry brought us together too. Cause I had been studying with Larry for six years and he told me I, he thought I should do the teacher training and I really didn't have any idea to want to be a yoga teacher. Um, I didn't want to be a yoga teacher either. But I loved Larry. I, I loved the practice. I was at the studio almost every day anyway. And I thought, oh, it'd be kind of cool to learn more about this practice that I love so much. You know, maybe I, I could learn more about the philosophy and the history. And that appealed to me. So I signed up to do the training. And then I met MC Yogi on the first day of our teacher training. And Larry brought us together. And I was living in... He writes about this in his book. He writes our love story. It is in the memoir he did, Spiritual Graffiti. He writes about that first moment when we met. But Larry was magnetic because he was... Uh, he was Larry was good friends with my dad. So he was like my uncle. And he took me under his wing and I lived at the, the studio, basically sleeping on the floor and, you know, being his gopher and getting him coffee and stuff and kind of just shadowing him and practicing by his side. And um, I had just gotten out of a group home. I'd lived in a group home for like two and a half years and uh, Larry kind of opened his doors to me and and um, he was just like a wild crazy hippie and um, he was just so cool and just so awesome and you know most of the adults I knew were really stiff and rigid and you know really formal and Larry was just wild and free and his love for the practice was infectious and that's eventually how we ended up meeting and practicing with Patabi Joyce was through him. And yet he was Cons- I mean, you, you describe him like wild hippie, but he was consistent. Yeah, he like, was super consistent. That yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. He was like, he was there. That is a really good point. Like he was, he was a pillar in South of Market in San Francisco. He was like the mayor of the neighborhood. Like all the homeless guys knew him. All the restaurant people knew him. Like he was just like. Yeah. And it, that consistency, he was there. He was there teaching four or five days a week for years, for years, decades. Yeah. I think it's easy to like just associate that with kind right. of like, eh, nah, nah. but I hear a lot of stories about teachers introducing. I talked to other couples, you know, well-known Ashtanga, Ashtanga couples, you know, where their teacher, whether it's Patabi Joyce or someone else introduced them. And mm-hmm. is that, did he see that for you? Or is it just that you're in the same class? The moment, the day that we met, we first laid eyes on each other. Um, the, the story or the myth that it is now is that I don't remember. Too I remember much. like it was yesterday. Okay. The moment, <laughs> tell the, story. the moment she walked in, I knew I had already had a premonition that I was getting ready to meet the woman I was going to marry. And so I was like, my radar was up. Like I would just, I had just come from traveling alone through Europe and being on this like mystical soul quest. And I just gotten into yoga and I'd been practicing Ashtanga hardcore thanks to my dad. And then thanks to Larry. And I, in my heart was just like ripe and ready. And, you know, I'd been in so many, you know, bad relationships before. And I had, at that point in my life, I was living more kind of monastically and I was taking vows and stuff and, and really pulling back. And I decided that, um, within myself that instead of going around and just dating, lightly and loosely that I was just going to really wait until I found my partner and my, you know, my person. And then when she walked in through that door, it was like every part of my heart lit up and I knew it was her like instantly. And Larry, I don't know if he just felt like the chemistry in the air or what was going on, but the moment she walked in, he started like rapping, like, yeah, people come and they meet at the studio, fall in love and get married all the time. 
he just started going off on this tangent. We, it wasn't even a conversation. He said, all the, the students who have, you know, who I've introduced and then they, they, yeah, they start their own studios. They fall in love. He just going on. He like basically started to rattle out what would become the next 20 years of our so life. He together. was very, I think like because he, he was so devoted to his practice and Larry was, he was consistent in terms of like how he showed up very persistent. Um, but he was still wild and he would get these downloads and these streams where he would become prophetic at times where he would just like speak mm -hmm. to the energy in the room. And I think that had a lot to do with his attunement through his years of being in a space where people were practicing mm -hmm. and meditating and he would shout things out in class. Like, I think also too that, you know, we both had a separate relationship. We had not met, but we had known him for years separately and had like this loving like a, like like an uncle relationship where he knew us pretty deeply in our own way and so i think he just he knew us and he he read but that but he didn't moment he and, wasn't he wasn't like um putting us together no. he wasn't matching no he, no, no, he was just like he but was, he felt it he he, felt he, it. he spoke it right then yeah. right without just right away just she didn't know it it took her a long time to figure it out but and even me <laughs> like i had to like i had to figure out I mean, and I talk about it in the book, so no spoilers, but um, there, there was a lot of things that didn't make sense. And it wasn't Yeah, till, one was the fact that you were 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> didn't but, make a lot of sense. But one of the things that started to become clear was that um, we just became friends and our, our whole our whole life together is based on, built on that foundation of we're both friends and we're both yoga nerds. We both are artists. We both paint. We love music. And uh, we just had so much in common that we clicked on so many levels. And then, um, yeah, it just became. I think one thing too, Dorothy taught us, and you know, this is, we went, went to Dorothy after a while being together, but um, she had this concept of the, the healthy flow of relationships. Um, and it was five stages. And the first stage is attraction. The second stage she called playmate, which is um, when you start doing activities together, you start sharing your friends with their friends and um, you're doing things more socially, like in groups. The third phase is friendship. And that's when you start sharing your, your dreams and your fears, like more personal, like going to that level of trust in a friendship. The fourth phase is intimacy, like sexual intimacy, physical intimacy. That happens four phases down the line. I'm just going to repeat that because she said what her experience is most people jump from attraction to physical intimacy and they don't build the building blocks of being playmates, having fun together, doing social things and being friends. Traveling. And then the fifth phase is she called deep intimacy, union, marriage, like where you really merge your... your Lives. Your lives, and you, you go on a path together. You decide to walk together. So Dorothy was a G like that. She would just, she would just line things up in a way that just made them so clear and easy to understand. And she gave us those tools, and we went through the process with her. And it just helped us to kind of like from the gate, from day one, kind of chart and set our, you know, our course in a way that was like, okay, we're on the same page. How far into your relationship were you when? when Dorothy came along? Say a couple of years. Maybe, no, I think earlier, maybe in the first, first year. First year. Yeah. Is there anything that precipitated or just Larry suggested? Um, I don't want to give away too much. Yeah. I think it'll actually, 
invite people to you know, read was, the book, actually. Yeah, it was yeah. one teacher leading to another teacher leading to another yeah. teacher to the realization that you are your own teacher. Like it was that sort of stepping stone path of like going from mentor to their mentor to their mentor. It's sort of like the Jedi, you know, you go from Obi-Wan to Yoda until you realize you are the force. But it is a process. And especially when you're young, you're navigating through those rites of passage. And it was, you know, just following that. And I think, and I think having the awareness that we wanted support, that we wanted to create, that we really wanted to do this differently. We wanted to to experience a new paradigm of relationship. Well, also the um, yoga, and we became realized that the the yoga is leveled and layered, and that the postures were amazing, and they were opening us up in ways that we had never really, speaking for myself, I'd never really experienced before. And then the, you know, the mantras and the mythology and the pranayama, and then it just kept going deeper until, you know, it started to land in these deeper places. It wasn't just physical, but it was like your, the path, your, the, your destiny. Kind of like Dorothy's unfolding of the stages of relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think most people think though, that in relationships, it's weird. Like I was so happy to hear you come in and say, yeah, we, we had somebody that kind of helped us navigate mm -hmm. all of that. Being young and being in love, there it is hard. Mm -hmm. Relationships aren't easy to navigate, I, I don't think. It's I mean, a work, we're always a work in progress. It is always a work in progress. And so I think what fascinates me is that you had the foresight as, or or at least there was something anticipating. I would like to say, though, it's an artwork in progress. I feel like when people say relationship is work, it sounds like awful. It sounds like a job. This is not a job. This is like a joy. You know, this is fun. It's fun to like... Well, you get to hang, be with your friend all the time. Like, be together. It's fun to, to talk and unravel when we have like a knot. And, problem solving. And problem solve. And it's fun and to like, say, hey... I love supporting her with her project. <laughs> you know, her, you know, painting 10,000 Buddhas and murals and prints. And like, I love being her cheerleader and and it's fun for me because it gets me out of my project, which sometimes is like, I don't like when it's all about me. It's, it becomes frustrating because I don't want it to be all about me. You know, I think of like a painting though, if, if I'm going down the path of the painting and suddenly I'm doing a bunch of stuff on the painting and I look back and I'm like, that doesn't work. That's not working. That's, it's, it's abrasive to my senses. I think the same thing can happen in a relationship. You can get into a pattern where things aren't working and they don't feel good and you just have to edit it out you have to go back backtrack you go back and you reset a, a new thing and I think maybe being well you've had paintings where you just straight up like change the color yeah like the whole color of like you had pieces that were like blue and they weren't working and you went like I was like sweetie try going you gotta like, do a darker something color different. so she went like red in the opposite direction and it was like the whole piece changed and yeah, so you I gotta guess, be willing to like make changes and edit and and but I, I think it's a fun process. But it's a creative process. I love the way you called it an artwork in progress because you're right. We do like say we make it sound like it make it sound like the worst. We like do that with yoga work. too, by the yeah, way. We're like, true. and it's gonna be, you know, you're gonna get yeah. that's why I love Larry so much. He was like he brought music into the space, he brought joy into the space, he brought laughter into the space, and he brought family into the space. It was like a community. And when he showed up every day to teach it was like just teaching. It was like practicing in your living room. He had there was a feeling of being at home, and everyone knew. You know, everyone knew Larry, and he knew everyone's name, and 
And it was just like, um, it was like your neighborhood yoga studio. It was not, it was the opposite of corporate. It was so the opposite of like everything that sometimes America does to yoga, which is corporatize, scale, brand, and make it really, you know, surface thin and go wide and sit. But he was like, it was a deep well. I feel like the two of you have resisted. It, it might be just my perception, but I've known you for a while and I feel like you've resisted that going too far. You keep you keep a home studio, right? Yeah. And you go to individual places and paint. Like, you, you guys keep it... To be so big and keep it so intimate and, and, and almost smallish, does that make sense? Yeah. Just like you, or is yeah, that purposeful yeah. on your... A hundred percent. Water the roots. Like, mm -hmm. stay close. I always say, like, stay close to the roots. It's safe there. You know, stay close to the roots. It's like, if you start to branch out too far and get disconnected to where you, where you come from and, like, the original spark and what set it off in the beginning, then you start to lose sight of, like, the, the vision of like why we why we got into this practice in the first place was we got it, me personally I got into this practice in the first place to heal. So going out and being super like big and everything is like the opposite of healing, because I think healing is is close and small and intimate, connected to nature. Well, I think also we both had firsthand experiences of being in the presence of our teachers on a regular basis. And we value that experience. Now, when it comes to music, I go big. Like I, I and I think yeah. that's the dance of like the Hanuman dance of being able to be really small. We need to be small, navigate, move through the terrain, and then go really big when it's time to be of service. Like because sometimes you can play small, and it could be a disservice. Sometimes you could go really big and it could be a disservice. So I think the the inhale and the exhale is the fluctuation, being able to dance between what is the moment calling for right now. Value both. Yeah. Both volume up volume down boy that's really meaningful for me right at the moment it's a struggle not to know you know what it's I mean? a dance thank it's you for re okay that's twice now that yeah. you have reframed that for me <laughs> it's a dance and you know some songs are harder to dance to than others sometimes you're dancing really fast and you're like hello it's a slow song you're like you know <laughs> and you know so it's just Let's like just tuning into the breath over and over because the breath is the teacher. That's what Larry, Dorothy, Guruji, all, you know, Yogananda, all the the teachers, like it really comes down to that, like voice of your own intuition and making sure you're listening to your heart more than you're listening to your head, but also filtering your heart through your head so that it becomes really clear, you know, sharpening the intellect, polishing the senses. And, and the body is the, you know, the body, the, the teachings are in the body. It's the body of wisdom. Like it's all here. The body's nature. And yoga gets us in touch with our own intuitive knowing. That's how I think I knew when I saw Amanda because I was practicing. If I wasn't practicing yoga and meditating, she could have walked in the door and walked right out. And I never would have paid attention to what my heart was telling me. But the yoga was getting me in tune with my internal voice. I kind of love that you were 20 in a way. I think Megan at 26, she... She always hears things about, well, young people, young people. And she's like, I feel like I'm pretty, like, she's been on the path. She's been practicing. And I think she feels like, 
not, you know, doesn't know everything, but you know what I mean? Doesn't feel. 20 is not young. It's like, not young. But people Go in, back, back in, in time, the day, yeah, that, like, and people were like running countries at that age. It like, it's, we have, we a, have concept. a false sense, and, and we think we baby people for, yeah. until they're like 30. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's like. like get it together. You're, you can feed yourself, you can make your own decisions. Like, Come on, take Amanda responsibility was, for your life. Amanda was doing all that when she was oh, like 10. 10. Yeah. She, she was oh. driving, she was I taking don't... cabs to the dentist that she made the appointment herself because her parents were off working. And, like, you know, I think. And, and it served me well. Like, it gives you independence, it gives you empowerment. Well, you know, this delayed childhood, and I don't I think, think, is healthy. I'm grateful for the generation of my teachers and my grandparents because I think they did toughen me up. Like, my grandparents worked really, really hard. They were the product of the Depression. My mom is immigrated to America. She, you know, she didn't own a pair of shoes before she came to this country. And they, my whole family worked really hard to make a life. And that was modeled to me from an early age that if you really want to be successful, you have to sweat and you have to work. And you can't, like, just wait for someone else to come along and do it for you. Like, you have to put the time in. And... And Larry taught me that too. And Guruji taught me that too. Because God knows I sweat in my sword. And it was hard as hell. And I struggled and shook and thought I was going to die. And thank God for that coconut at the end of class. Because I don't think I would have survived. But it was good. Like, you know, you so you got to go through those difficult phases. Especially when you're young. It's so important to go through difficult things. And have guidance and mentorship. And know that you can... And you can, you're, you're stronger strong than you think you are. Yeah. That's what Larry used to always say to me. You're stronger than you think you are. I was thinking about knowing that we were going to come talk to you. I was thinking about our time in Mysore and practicing with Javi Joyce. And um, I, my first memory when I thought about that was at the end of practice when you do the, the dropbacks. And they're the most intense doing those dropbacks. And you're walking your hands toward your feet. It's like, oh, my God, am I going to break in half? And he would drop you back, lift you up over and over. It's like the most intense. you got to surrender. you got to stay strong. But then afterwards, you kind of like, he'd let you kind of like hug him. And <laughs> he'd just stand there and you'd be like, we did that, you know. <laughs> it was so sweet. It was like this this combination of this um, and talk about, intensity yeah. with standing by your side while you do it. And then like and being there to, like that, you know, that comfort of like, you did good. You did it at the end. And I think Dorothy did that for us. Larry yeah. did that for us. Our, all our really good teachers walked us through, walked by our side, didn't do the work for us, but walked us through those fires and then were there to. But like you, it, you ultimately know. you have to know yeah, you can walk through your own mind, but you. Can you ever can you give me an example of a time in your relationship where you really applied what Dorothy gave you? The skills, the techniques, whatever it I was. I think our career. Like, you know, because she, she had a map, I think it's called the Eight Keys. And it was, uh, you know, another system that she had developed that was going through your fears and then getting through that to figure out, okay, what are... What are, the, what are my operating instructions? What do I need to do every day in order to make this happen? Those become your goals. And, you know, you transform expectations into actually workable goals. You call them SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T, specific, measurable. Achievable, but, realistic, and with a time frame. So it wasn't just having some, like, 
crazy goal that like, yeah, I want to be, you know, a huge teacher. It was like, by the way, we never, this whole thing about like teaching these big classes is, is it was never a goal. super <laughs> weird and bizarre that that happened because we never really set out to do that. We just set out, we opened our own mom and pop studio and, you know, we were just teaching classes every day and then Amanda was painting and I was making music, but it was really just for our own joy yeah. and pleasure. Our mission was always just to, to spread our love of yoga. Yeah, music and art. And so it just kind of like, it, it escalated and happened and unfold kind of naturally on its own. One thing led to another. Uh, and there was a lot of difficult processes that we had to go through in terms of, you know, me specifically, my ego getting battered by being in, going into the music industry and just all the ups and downs and the pendulum and people's opinions and criticisms and everyone's feedback and them telling you what you what you should do once again like being outside of your own intuitive guidance system and so the yoga brings you back again and again so you can sort of recalibrate and reconnect with your own sort of destiny because sometimes like chasing money or whatever it is or fame or followers it can get you really far away from your purpose i think can i jump in mm -hmm. i think something to fundamentally dorothy taught us about how to think in terms of the eight keys like you have this you have a goal or, or not a goal you have a mission you have like a guiding um vision for your life or for your relationship and then the way you approach it is um you know in this very clear way of how do you take steps so it's having a big vision but knowing how to move toward it and in relationship if you have a, a big vision of, of having a loving kind happy joyful relationship she gave me the way of thinking about things where I can then know well if I go down take this course of action or if I say this it's probably not in alignment with my big vision <laughs> Or is it? You know what I mean? Like, I could be angry and I could have a tantrum. She used to give us costs and payoffs. Like yeah, like, that's not going to get me toward where I want to go. You so she gave me this way of thinking about things, both for 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 everything, you know, that... So you're making was, conscious, deliberate decisions. Yes. She called it co-creating with spirit. And, um, and she would... I just gave you this ability to think about everything in your life with conscious awareness of everything we think, say, and do, which is totally yogic training from the sutras, everything you think, say, and do will affect your reality, you know, straight up. And so if you, if you, made of if, once you, once you really lock into that truth, then you can, you it can figure everything out. was also built on the bedrock, the cornerstone of the divine. So Dorothy was, Dorothy grew up in Harlem um, her whole life had been, you know, revolved around her relationship with God, her relationship with the creator, with the self, however you want to frame it. But that was, it was coming from that. So it wasn't about like, you know, crafting with your ego, you know, what you think you want. It was about connecting with spirit because we'd always start every session with a practice called just being, which was like meditation, but we'd sit with our feet on the floor. Instead of our eyes closed, we'd have our eyes open. So we'd be aware and clear. And then we'd just be quiet. And we'd sit for just a few minutes and breathe and relax and soften and just allow everything to be as it was without trying to fix or manipulate everything, anything. Just allowing yourself to be with what is right now. And then that has a way of kind of um, setting the tone for the process, for the work. Sort of like yoga, like in the beginning, I like to start in Shavasana. <laughs> like I like to start at the finish line. I like to say, let's start where you want to end up. 
And that's what Dorothy did. Start where you want to be, where you want to get to. Just start there. And that kind of collapses. And then you, it, the, the, the sutras or in the scriptures do that too. I was going to say that. They, they're very efficient. They always give you the totality of everything that's going to be. And then my thing is like, if you're really dumb and dense, like I am, then you have to go through all the volumes and pages and chapters and you have to do all the more advanced postures until you got, you know, your feet behind your head and you're on one pinky and, you know, you're doing rapid breathing. That's all to crack the coconut to get you back to that first sentence, which is yoga is unity. Yoga is the experience of being at one, at home, in God, in the self, in the moment, however you want to frame it. So Dorothy, the whole practice was built on spirit. And, and I think that's really important because you can get into the self-help sort of process and it can all be ego-driven. She was also um, very clear that she felt it's easy for relationships to become work, to become transactional business arrangements. You do this for me, I do this for you. And she didn't believe that that was like the highest expression of relationship. So she taught us that too. Like be, be aware of when you're thinking about a relationship in that transactional way. And honestly, she modeled and that's it not, with that's her That's not husband. artwork. That's work. You know, artwork is like, I'm doing this out of love. I'm but her doing husband, this for her, the joy. Dorothy and her husband, Leslie, were just like, they were such great friends and it, just being around them and they were so opposite. Um, but they just like, they loved each other and were such great friends. And, and a lot of laughter. A lot of laughing, a lot of smiling. And are like, yeah, that's that's how I want to be, you know, just like hanging out with my friend. I think that's why I look at the two of you and I'm like, I, I do feel that with my husband. And, and I, I love that's and awesome. I, you can see that with the two of you. And it's it can be so it's so precious and so rare but what i'm also hearing you say is is it's so intentional and and maybe it's not as rare or as precious as we think maybe it's mm -hmm. really kind of a natural way of being with your friend you know and and i think that um you know we just been really lucky because um you know we found each other and you know sometimes if you're not paying attention that person who you're meant to be with can be really close to you and you cannot even be aware of it. Or maybe you're so in your head, it's the coconut's so thick that you can't really appreciate what you have right now and you think that it's somewhere else when it's been here the whole time. Do you go into more of this with the book? And to find out what happens next, <laughs> you'll have to pick up the book. Will you, graffiti. will you just tell me quickly there's, about there's stories? There's I know, there's I know there. that you have um, limited amounts of time right now. But would you love? Would you? Could you tell me a little bit more about the book? Well, the book is really um, it's kind of the archetypical journey from um, being a young moron to discovering yoga and continuing to be a moron but becoming more on um through the practice and really just a, it's it's really the it was my experience of being with my teachers and traveling to india and just getting into trouble being a juvenile delinquent getting kicked out of every pretty much every school i attended fired from every job arrested um ending up in a group home you know getting kind of 
swirled into the spiral of drugs and gangs and just kind of negativity. Um, and then how yoga really helped me to spiral in the opposite direction and realign and point my mind in the direction I wanted to go. And, you know, meeting Amanda, our journey, our process, opening the studio, traveling to India, you know, becoming a musician and all the things that happened that opened the doors to being a professional performing artist. And, um, yeah, and it's just, you know, that journey from, you know, you could say darkness to light, but I don't even like to use the word darkness because I think darkness is so good. Like, there's so much, like, there's so much light in the darkness that sometimes we separate those two things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're not really separate. It's all part of the same process. I was going to ask you about that early experience because, of course, I've seen you teach at the White House when we were doing oh, yeah, the Easter egg. Yeah, that's right. And the two of you, and the, when you would teach the kids, it was the most fun. Like when you guys would get up and teach, and we'd be like on the train, and we'd be going this way. But actually, thought, that's uh, I just have to shout out to Marsha Winning because we we studied with her. She um was really at the forefront of creating she did yoga kids and one was one of the first pioneers pioneers yeah. of of really doing amazing work teaching kids and we studied with her and so all those games and tricks came back to us when we taught at the white house with you and i just thought really all fun. those outside the box stuff you guys went like you could you were able to like pull from from stuff that isn't it's hard for me to do that sometimes. I can get sort of stuck. I don't, but with all that other experience, there was some kind of kid in you that you're able to pull from. Is that, I mean. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's just probably the artist in us too, like us. being creative and, you know, we both paint, we both draw. I mean, I love cartoons and comic books and video games. Like that's just kind of my, that's my world. So I just, I, I just like having fun. Uh, and so any chance I get to have fun and because I, I think ultimately what I learned in my own experience is that the goal of yoga is connection. So you can put on the spiritual outfit and chant all the mantras and dance around with the fancy names and do all the postures and stuff. But if you're still at the end of the day disconnected after doing all that, you might be doing egoic aerobics and mm -hmm. not realizing that, you know, you can mimic something without understanding it and I think I was really blessed to have people in my life who embodied what it meant to be a pillar in the community and to like really show up like you're saying like Larry was persistent Dorothy was persistent Guruji was persistent and they embodied this feeling of of connection and love and and wisdom and they weren't perfect every single one of them was human and flawed and we put everyone up on a pedestal you know what happens when you put people on a pedestal I don't know about you, but I don't want to pet a pedestal. Um, and I think we tend to put people above us or below us, and that is the opposite of yoga. Yoga is not a cult mentality. There are teachers who have knowledge because they put time and energy into learning something in their life, those 10,000 hours, and we can learn from them. But that doesn't make them better or than us. And, and people who don't do yoga are not worse than us. Like, I think, again, with leveling the praying field, like, seeing that we're all human, we're all suffering, we're all struggling, we all have minds and desires and egos, and we all get hungry and thirsty and tired and grumpy, and we all need coffee, some of us, like, you know, so I think that that was the, the, real, the realization I've had in the process of, you know, becoming a quote-unquote, like, 
you know, personality and people projecting stuff onto me and being like, no, this is not it. Like yoga is like really, really quiet and humble and connected and calm. And And it starts right here, right? With your person closest to you. I think that's funny because we can do that with others, but sometimes we forget the one right there with us. Yeah. Well, and the person closest to you is you, right? And And then it kind of ripples out from there. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. And I I appreciate how real you keep it. I appreciate how beautiful the two of you are. And I'm so happy that you were able to like squeeze me in today and, and share. Thanks, Amanda, would you just like, I know that, would you tell, like, I would love to know your next step. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, with my 10,000 meter project. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well... I actually just started making prayer flags just a few weeks ago. You did? And it's something I, I had actually bought fabric to make prayer flags maybe eight years ago. And I finally, I couldn't believe I found it. We'd moved and I, I went into the closet. And I opened up a bin and there was this bag of the material that I had bought um, in Berkeley down in the sari shops. So I had beautiful silks and some um, like transparent, really lovely you know that Indian cotton that you can see through and and I finally dug it out and I had to do a lot of math like the size of the fabric and I measured little buddhas out and I made made screens and I um, printed on on fabric and then I cut them all up and I glue gun them and I strung them up and uh and so that's like just a a new expression right now um of finding new How ways to no, I do. Yeah. I play and, and oh my gosh, uh, I've been reading the artist's way and I've been really following. Yeah. And so it was fun to be very. To I be very like being crafty. crafty. It's calming. I really like it. It's meditative. Yeah, it's what's, it's uh, what's the word when you're using tactile? Yeah, it's, tactile. it's grounding. It's repetitive. Yeah. Which you know, if you're just on yoga, you like the repetitive. It's calm. Seems to calm the mind. And um and I really had a lot of fun i i'm gonna install them we're, we're going to the wonder lesson stratton so i made them i made 170 little prayer eggs and then i'm gonna install them in our booth like so they're rippling little blessings and oh, i yeah. also did the buddhas and i printed the three words um love peace and health which i think to me are the essential prayers that everyone it's their universal prayers that everyone is looking for love peace and health and um i kind of tied it into this these ritual yoga wellness kits that I made and um so yeah that's that's kind of I'm still painting and, and making murals but and how many Buddhas have you painted so far yeah I just uh got to 15,000 right before I left and I counted up my prayer flags and your cheerleader over here yeah. I know so good it's fun to watch like because you know she's done three-story murals like in DC and She's she's got murals here at Wanderlust Festival. For me, it's fun just to take this one theme and see, you know, creatively how far I can push it, how big I can go, how little I can go, different materials I can use, you know, from from textiles to prayer flags to, you know, spray paint to gold leaf. Miami, Germany, New York, Hollywood. It's it's fun. I don't know where it's going. North Carolina. I just keep you know, putting one boot at a time and out there and, and, uh, and it, it's, it's like, a, it's like 
you know, that's my artwork. It's joyful. It's hard. It, it's not hard. I don't want to use that language anymore. But it's, 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 um, it, it takes effort. It takes energy. effort. It effort, takes effort. intention. Yeah. Intention. But There's most of the time, it's driven by my desire to see what happens and how it comes out. And it's an adventure. I love you guys. Love you too. <laughs> love you too. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Your gifts and donations are the only reason we can do this without any ads or sponsors. So thank you. And if you have within your means to help, please visit ashtangadispatch.com backslash donate. We appreciate all you do. As always, thanks for listening and sharing. And we'll be back next month with a brand new episode.